0: Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's message. Our hope with this content is that it would help you come to know Jesus, follow Jesus, and lead others to do the same. If you're grateful for this word, be sure to hit that like button, subscribe to our channel, and also you can partner with what Jesus is doing here at Elevate City through giving. There's a link below for that as well. Here's today's message. I can't wait for you to hear it. Well, if we haven't met yet, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here with Elevate City. And I'm so grateful to be continuing in the series that Pastor Joey kicked off last week called Jesus People. Let me hear y'all say Jesus People. Jesus people and all throughout this series we're going to be going through several of our culture statements and we're going to be talking about our culture of our church and it's really who we are and it's what we do. The culture of an organization is all about their beliefs and their behaviors and it really defines and makes up who they are and so uh, here's some of our culture statements up here on the screen and throughout the series we'll be going through a few of these and last week Pastor Joey went through Jesus is our message and last week was all about for us everything thing is secondary to Jesus. For us, we are a Jesus people trying to tell everyone a Jesus story and walk in Jesus's ways. And so if you missed last week's message, you got to go check it out on YouTube. Check it out because I promise it'll change your life and you'll see Jesus in a whole new way. And this week, like Pastor Joey already talked about, we are, uh, we're talking about our now generation today. This is a culture statement of ours. Next, Slash, slide through, strike through, now generation. Uh, This comes from Psalm 145, 4, where the psalmist writes, it says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Listen, one of our jobs as Jesus people is is to never stop telling the next generation about the greatness of our God. We believe as a church that kids and students are not just the the future of our church, but they are the lifeblood of our church today, that they have impact and influence and they matter now. That's why we don't say the next generation here, we say the now generation because we want it to be a reminder for us that they matter now, that kids and students matter here in this place and we make much of them here in this place because Jesus is passionate about them. See, why would we take an entire Sunday to talk about kids and students? Like, you may be here today and you're like, man, don't y'all got other things to focus on? Like, don't y'all got other things to preach on in this place? Aren't y'all a new church? Aren't you just trying to get a million people in here as quick as you can? Why would we take a whole Sunday morning to talk about snotty-nosed babies and crazy kids and wild toddlers and the youth of today? Why would we do that? Because kids and students matter to Jesus. And if the now generation matters to Jesus, they must matter to us. In Matthew chapter 18, we see uh, a story uh, take place where Jesus' disciples, um, they're standing before Jesus and they ask Jesus a big, bold, powerful question. They ask him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And they're asking him this question so that they can figure out how they can become the greatest. They're like, what do we got to do, Jesus? Can you just tell us? Like, tell us what rules to follow. Tell us what things to do. Like, we want to be the greatest. And Jesus, what he does here in this moment, he starts to speak. And it's as, almost as if everyone in the room or everyone standing outside begins to lean in. Like, if they were in church, everyone would be sitting, scooting up on the front of their pew, sitting on the edge of that pew. They're getting their notes out. You're up your notes app. Come on, what is Jesus going to say? And in Matthew chapter 18, what Jesus does First, before he says anything, is he invites a child to come and stand in their midst. He says, bring a child to me. And this child comes and stands before them. And Jesus says these words, Matthew 18. He says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. What Jesus is doing is he's completely shattering the status quo of the day. Like in that day, children were not seen as blessings. They were seen as burdens. They were seen as an inconvenience. They were not even seen or heard. They were not given put on platforms. They were pushed down, placed to the side. In the culture of that day, they did not value kids. But what Jesus does is he flips the script and he says, What you don't value, I'm placing as utmost importance. He says, In my kingdom, kids matter. If you want to serve me, serve them. If you want to love me, love them. If you want to be like me, Jesus says, be like them. There's over 150 passages in the Bible that reference future generations, and there are stories on stories all throughout the Bible that illustrate how passionate God is about elevating kids, elevating youth, and using them for his purposes. And so the now generation matters to Jesus, and if they matter to Jesus, they must matter to us. And so my whole hope today is to paint a big picture for you of the kingdom of Jesus and his heart for young people. I want the spirit of Jesus through the word of God to stir in you today a heart for young people that no matter how old you are in this room, no matter how young you are in this room, no matter what stage of life you are in in this room today, that there is a reason for you being here. And my heart is to show you the heart of Jesus today and help you to see the now generation with that same heart. This is not a Ted talk on young people today, y'all. This is a message about the heart of Jesus and his heart for the now generation. Jesus' people value the now gen because Jesus values the now gen. See, the crazy thing is, is we are so quick to forget these things, aren't we? Like the very next day, seemingly in the story and the narrative of what's happening in Matthew 18, the very next day, the very next chapter in Matthew 19, Jesus' disciples are with him again and there's an even larger crowd that's before them. And, and we see in Matthew 19, 13 through 15, we see another similar story happen. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But check this out. But the disciples rebuked them. The disciples were like, no, 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 don't bring your kids to Jesus. No, 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 stop. Don't bring them here. Don't, don't disrupt what's happening. Like if I was Jesus in this moment, it would have been like a Will Smith moment, you know, where I just slap them. I'm like, I just told you. Did you not listen were you not paying attention? But Jesus, in all of his grace, he turns to his disciples and he says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write something so simple on the top of your page, so simple on your phone, somewhere there you're not going to miss it because it's so easy to forget this. Jesus loves kids. Just write that down. Jesus loves kids. Like you'll need that one day, I promise. When, if you ever have a child and you're changing a blowout diaper, you will need that reminder. Jesus loves kids. If you've ever been trying to feed a kid lunch or dinner and they flip their plate over on you, you need that reminder. Jesus loves kids. If you've ever been to the grocery store at the park and a toddler just walks up to you and kicks you in the shin and you're like, who are you? You Just need that reminder. Jesus loves kids. Kids, He says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. See, as Jesus people, there are things we do and there are things that we don't do. And Jesus people don't look down on the now generation, they lift them up. And if we want to be a church that receives the blessings of God, we've got to be a people that do everything that we can to get kids to the feet of Jesus without placing any barriers before them. Listen, we'll never be a church that requires children to dress a certain way or talk a certain way to come and encounter the person of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll just let kids do whatever they want in this place. But it does mean that we're going to always embrace childlike faith. We're always going to welcome curious questions. We're always going to let kids dance and play and sing and laugh and do what kids do because they are kids. And we're going to provide them, though, with the structure and the guidance to encounter Jesus in an authentic way. See, they don't need to put on their shiny shoes and mind their P's and Q's here at Elevate City. They need only to come as they are and watch as Jesus transforms their lives. Every single Sunday after we clear out of this room... And the kids come upstairs, I love seeing every week there'll be a line of kids that come rushing through those doors and run down these aisles. And they come and they run up onto the stage and they sing and they dance and they roll around. And like a couple weeks ago, Joey's daughter Raleigh was like preaching a sermon and Hadley Jane was like, amen. Like it was crazy, y'all. And why would we let them come in here and dance on this stage and play and preach? Because we want them to see that this is not just a church for their parents. This is their church. This is a place for them, that they matter here. See, for Jesus' people, kids are not burdens. They are blessings. And we need to be more concerned about building bridges to the next generation, not barriers. Because Jesus was clear, do not hinder them. Let them come to me. Let them come to me. See, we will always be a church that tears down any religious or cultural barrier that is prohibiting kids and students from experiencing the life-changing message of Jesus. Come, just come. A few weeks ago, we were having family prayers here, out there in the lobby, and every week that's just part of our culture, we circle up and we pray together, we pray a blessing over the service, we have some just vision for the day, and it's just part of who we are, and... I was leading the vision time that week. And, and so I'm out there just hyping everyone up. Y'all, I'm casting some vision for the day. I'm preaching a little sermonette before church even happened. Like people are getting saved on our dream team. They're like, amen, I received Jesus. Like it was crazy, y'all. And, um, and I'm, just, I'm just talking, I'm talking, I'm going in. And all of a sudden my son, my son Hudson comes running up into the middle of the circle. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And immediately in that moment, like what a lot of parents probably would have done, being interrupted by their child in front of a group of people, their first thought would have been like, okay, I need to like make my kid be quiet. I need to tell them to stop doing what they're doing because they're embarrassing me. I need, to, I need to discipline them real quick and make sure I show everyone that I can control my child. But because of the culture of our church, that thought never crossed my mind. Immediately in that moment, because of the culture of our church, my first thought was I need to celebrate him. I need to highlight our kids. And so I pick him up and I hold him up high and and I use it as an opportunity to remind our church that every week there are people gathering in this space But there's three rooms downstairs full of kids that are hearing about the message of Jesus, that are learning Bible stories, that are singing songs to God, that are dancing and playing and learning how Jesus is so fun and how Jesus wants to be their friend and how Jesus wants to save their life. There are kids every week learning scripture, memorizing scripture, and we use it as an opportunity to celebrate kids, not not to try and quiet them down, not to try and control them. See, every single week, we've got kids memorizing scripture. We've got kids like Ellie, who a few weeks ago memorized an entire passage of scripture, went home, told her mom all about it because she heard it here at church. Like, did you memorize scripture this week? Our kids did. We've got kids like Erin, who a few weeks ago invited her teacher to church, and her teacher came to church because of her invitation. We've got kids inviting adults to church. Did you invite someone to church this week? Our kids kids challenge us they inspire us about the curiosity of the things of god like we can't miss this a few nights ago i'm putting hudson to bed and and we're talking about jesus and and all of a sudden just the trinity comes up and i i get into a 30 minute conversation with my son about the trinity it was wild y'all but who else is asking those questions in your life Who else wants to know about the things of God like kids do? They are so curious and so hungry. See, they are not just the future of our church. Kids are the lifeblood of our church today. We're not concerned about them disrupting church. We are praying for them to disrupt the complacency that's within us. See, research shows us that kids are shaped by humans, are shaped by the environments that they find themselves in and the experiences that they share. And if church is not an environment that young people feel valued in, they're going to look somewhere else to meet that need. Church is not a place that they can see Jesus is approachable. They'll look somewhere else to find that person that is. If the church doesn't provide engaging experiences for kids to encounter meaning and purpose and love and joy, they're going to look somewhere else for what their soul is craving. Jesus said he came to give us life, full, rich abundant, satisfying, life in him. And that's what we wanna point our kids to. That's what we wanna point the now generation to, not religiosity, not morality, but full life in Jesus. That's why we wanna shatter the stereotype that church is supposed to be boring in this place. We say it all the time, because we want them to see that they can come to Jesus any day, anytime, and find life. According to the Barna Group, In one of their studies, only 6% of adult Christians made their decision to follow God over the age of 18. That means that 94% of the people that they studied and interviewed, 94% of Christians made decisions as children to follow Jesus that followed them through the rest of their life. 94% before the age of 18 prophet Isaiah tells us, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. There is a window of time that God gives us to reach someone for Jesus. And those stats tell a story. The time is now. Why do we call this the now generation? Because if we miss them now, there might not be a later. Like waiting till later is how the church gets to where it is today, where we say, oh, we'll let someone else reach them. We'll let their schools pour into them. We'll let them You know, find hope in that club that they're in. We'll let someone else do that. We'll wait till they're mature enough to lead. We don't want to put them on a stage too young. Like, we got to make sure they mature. And as we wait and wait and wait, we see. What's happening with that? We see churches around the globe that are closing their doors. Buildings are being sold. Pastors are retiring. And there's a generation that is searching for hope. See, one way we can ensure that our church never dies is to make sure that we are full of people that have just been born. Full of people that have just been born. The CDC released their findings from a survey that says that 44% of American high school students feel persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness almost double the numbers that they found in 2009. For every demographic for students today, mental health is on the decline. Sadness, hopelessness. See, that's why we're so passionate about kids and students experiencing Jesus. That's why we take them on retreats in the summer, and that's why we have a camp in the summer for kids as well. Our Milton Campus, Stone Creek, we'll see over 2,500 kids go through our Jesus-centered adventure camp, Camp Arrowhead this summer two thousand, five hundred kids. They have over 127 counselors this year who are primarily high school and college students that are leading the kids beneath them to know Jesus and follow him. And they're also discipling middle schoolers to train them up to be counselors as well. The clock is ticking. The time is now. And there is a generation that is making decisions daily that will impact their future and echo into eternity. And we as the church have an opportunity to be a voice shouting in the midst of everything going on saying there is hope in Jesus and in Jesus alone. He is what your heart is searching for and longing for and what your heart needs in this life. We want students and kids to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to lead others to do the same. 2 Timothy 1, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. 2 Timothy 1 and Let me give you a little context for what's happening in this moment. The apostle Paul, he's writing a letter to Timothy. And now Timothy is someone young that Paul decides to disciple and pour into and raise up in the church. And Paul, while he's writing this letter to Timothy, he finds himself as a prisoner in Rome. And he's essentially on death's row at this point. He knows that his life is about to be over. He knows that he's about to be martyred for his faith. He knows that The time, the clock has run out for him here on this side of eternity. And so rather than looking to his peers to try to figure out what's going to happen as he leaves, he decides that he's going to look to the youth. And he writes these letters to Timothy. And he writes to Timothy. Timothy was just a teenager when Paul first came into his life. And Paul came and shared the gospel with his grandmother and with his mother. And then they shared it with Timothy. And then Paul goes on to disciple Timothy and raises him up to be the pastor of the church of Ephesus when he was just 25 years old. And so Paul, as he's trying to figure out what is the future of the church going to look like? Well, he says, well, I'm going to look to the youth. I'm going to look to Timothy, who I've trained up, raised up, prepared for this moment. And so he writes to Timothy and he says these words. He says, Paul... An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Let me pause. He always starts with the gospel. He always points everything back to Jesus. This is why we are a Jesus people. We are not just religious people. We are not just church people. We are not just Christian people. We are not just moral people. We are not just good people. We are not just nice people or kind people. We are Jesus people. And so he starts off this letter and he's like, let me remind you. The gospel, life is found in Jesus. And then he says to Timothy, my beloved child. If you've got a Bible, I want you to underline child right there. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So he says, Timothy, my beloved child, or some translations that may say in your Bible, my dear son. When I was in high school, I always thought it was kind of strange that one of my pastors, anytime he'd see me, he'd call me brother. Hey, brother how are you? Hey, brother. And I'm like, you're 60 years old. You got a bald head and you think you're my brother. Like, are you confused? (laughs) Something's wrong here. Am I missing something? But it's because Jesus' people see younger people in the family of God. Older saints should see younger saints as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters in the family of God. God, in Jesus, we are the family of God, adopted into his family as sons and daughters by the blood of Jesus through the cross, through his resurrection. We are a family. And as a family, what do we do? Families, a lot of times they'll lay aside their priorities when needed to prioritize young people, to prioritize who they are. Like if you've ever been on an extended family vacation where you've got like your grandparents and your great-grandparents maybe and... And you got aunts and uncles, all of them people hanging out. One of the things you'll notice is that everybody always does what they think the kids wanna do, right? Like, if you've got grandparents and you're on a trip, like, you aren't doing what the grandparents want to do for that trip. No, you are doing what the kids want to do, hence Disneyland, Disney World. People go there. This past Christmas, we were hanging out with all of our family in Wilmington, North Carolina, and Leslie's grandparents were in town, and and we were with her her parents, and then my side of the family was there too. And and one day, it was like noon, and we're like, what do we want to do? And we're like, let's go to a trampoline park. And now we didn't go to a trampoline park because Leslie's grandma was craving some cardio, Like that wasn't the case. We went to the trampoline park because we thought that's what the kids wanted to do. And so we've got like 20 adults in this trampoline park watching Hudson and Hadley and my niece and my nephew roll around on some trampolines. Like it's so funny if you think about it, there's supposed to be a place for kids, and there's just this like cheerleading section, y'all, of my family. And it's like Hadley is literally just laying on a trampoline, and everyone's like, you get it! And they're like taking pictures, and they're oohing and on. and Did you see that? She jumped! Oh my gosh! And everyone is full of so much joy, and they're so happy, and they're just loving every moment of that. And why would we do that? because families are willing to lay aside their priorities to prioritize young people and it always will bring them joy. See Jesus people. Amen. Jesus people recognize that in Jesus we are part of a larger family. And in that family we see sons, we see kids and young people as sons and daughters to be loved and led. 2 Timothy 1 continues on verse 3. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, notice that, as did my ancestors, the people who have gone before me, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul, first off, notice he attributes Timothy's faith to his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Mom's in this room. Let me remind you, what you do matters. What you do matters. Matters. So many of us in this room are simply here because our grandma or our mom drug us to church year after year, day after day, and brought us to the feet of Jesus. I wouldn't be the man that I am today. I wouldn't be the person that I am today if it wasn't for my mom bringing me to church. And I know she's watching online, I just want to say thank you, Mom, for bringing me to the feet of Jesus day after day, year after year, on Wednesdays and Sundays and Mondays and all throughout the week, paying for me to go to camps and retreats so that I can experience Jesus. She never stopped praying for me and sharing scripture with me. And I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for her making sacrifices to make sure that I knew the love of Jesus. Moms, grandmas, what you do matters so much. Notice here in this scripture what Paul does for Timothy. He reminds Timothy of his value. He says, "I remember you constantly." He's not like, "Hey Timothy, this friendship thing was like a one-time thing." You know, like, no, it continues on. This friendship grows. He says, "Constantly, I remember you." Paul prays for Timothy day and night. Listen, when you don't know what to do or who to pray for or what to pray for, pray for young people. Pray for the kids, the families in our church. Pray for the students that have yet to walk through these doors. Pray for the student ministry that we are going to be building and we are building. Pray that this room one day would be full of young people shouting at the top of their lungs the praises of King Jesus. Pray for kids to know him. Pray that these baptism waters would be full of kids surrendering their lives to Jesus. Pray for the now generation. And he says he longs to see him, that he would be filled with joy. Paul recognizes that joy is found in the presence of youth. There's something that God does in your soul when you get around some young people to help you see the future with optimism. And he also references Timothy's sincere faith. Notice he's acknowledging that Timothy, Timothy's faith isn't just like a fling. It wasn't just like, a, oh, you prayed a prayer, you got a ticket to heaven kind of thing. No, he says you had a sincere faith. An authentic, a real faith, even though you are young. And he calls Timothy to do what his grandmother and what his mother did for him to fan into flame the faith into other people. Listen, you may not be a parent now, you may not be a parent ever, but it's never too early and it's never too late to be a Paul for someone that is young. It's the call of every believer. That we would fan the flame of faith into the people God places around us. Like we read at the beginning, that we would tell the next generation and the next generation and generation after that about the greatness of our God. We say it like this here, be who you needed when you were younger. If you're ever wondering what to do, well, be who you needed when you were younger. Like I'm here because of people like Matt, a man who was in his 20s, could focus on so many other things, but he chose to spend his time with a teenager like me. As a 16-year-old high school student, he pulled me under his wing, and he mentored me, and he discipled me, and he taught me about reading scripture, and he hung out with me when, when I had nothing else to do, and he would spend time with me, and he would pour into me, and he would give me dating advice every time Leslie and I would break up, which was all the time. We would just break up constantly in high school and college. It was just wild. But he was there every time to point me back to Jesus and to give me advice in our relationship. And then he ends up being the best man in Leslie and I's wedding. Like, how crazy is that? It's because he decided to be for me who he knew he needed back then. Think with me for a second who is it that you had when you were younger that shaped you into the man or woman you are today? Or who do you wish you had when you were younger? church, there's a generation that is desperate for someone to believe in them, that is starving for somebody to support them, and is ready to be placed on platforms and pushed toward their God-given potential, and you can be that for them. Like, I, I may, I get it, like, you may not have been blessed with people in your life that have pointed you to Jesus. Maybe you never had a mom or a grandma or a dad that told you about Jesus. Maybe you didn't have someone like Matt for you when you were younger well, everybody has an opportunity. Be who you needed now for the now gen who you wish you had back then. Be for them now. Be for them now. Our community pastor Thomas got coffee with a man who started coming to Elevate City a couple weeks ago, and he lives at the Senior Living Center, literally across the street, and he saw our flags, and he was driving by and decided to come in, and come to church here in this room and as he comes into these doors, he is just overwhelmed by seeing all of these young people in this room and it was his first time in this room ever and he starts to just get this excitement and this gratitude that there's a generation gathering here in this place reaching young people and celebrating Jesus and he's like, oh my gosh, I want to be a part of this and so he calls Thomas on our church phone number and he's like, I want to meet with you and I want to tell you all about how I want to go through your equip groups and I want to go through base camp because I want to Pour into and I want to mentor young high school students as they go off to college. There's a man that's coming into this place, and he's like, I don't, I, I see young people as an opportunity to pour into the now generation and make a difference today. It's never too late. There's a generation who needs for you to be for the now gen who you needed back then. Psalm 71, the psalmist, he writes this this is just crazy, y'all. He says, Oh God, from my youth you have taught me and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. From my youth, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come." The psalmist is like, don't let me die, God. Don't let me die until I have told the next generation, until I have told every soul about the greatness of our God. I can't miss it. God, give me a little more time so that I can tell just one more person about your greatness. Listen, listen church, you are needed. There is a generation that hides behind social media, buries their faces in their studies, It's just just bent on success, chasing for success, but is so desperate to experience the hope of Jesus. And so what can you do? Here's a couple things that you can do under the banner of fanning the flame of faith into the now gen. One of the things you can do is you can sign up to serve here at Elevate City. Be a part of our dream team. You can serve in one of our kids' environments, our youth enviro- Our youth environments. We're building a youth group. We would love to connect you with Caden, our now gen d- director, and just... Tell you all about the opportunities and the things he's doing every week to go to our high schools and tell students about Jesus and invite them to church. You can be on our outreach team inviting new families to come and experience Jesus here in this church. Maybe you're here and are like, I don't know how to work with kids, but I can serve people coffee. We'll serve on our community team. And as people come in, you make families feel welcome to make them know that this is a place that they can come and meet Jesus and they can bring their kids here. And you tell them about how awesome Jesus is and how their kids are going to meet Jesus downstairs. You start to serve. You start to sow seeds Here in this place, knowing that what Jesus is doing here is he is pouring into the now generation. You may not have time to do that, but you may have resources. Maybe you can start to give for the first time to say, hey, you know what? I want to give to support this mission. I want to give to sow seeds of generosity into this place, knowing that people are reaching the next generation, the now generation for Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't know what to do. Maybe you can start to foster Maybe you can start to step into that journey. We have so many families in our church that are a part of fostering kids knowing that there's kids out there that need someone to care for them. And you can be that caring adult in their life to bring them into your home and to tell them about the love of Jesus. Maybe it's adoption for you. Maybe it's that you pick one student, one young person that you decide to disciple and to pour into like Paul did to Timothy. In March 2015, Harvard Center on the Developing Child released a study in that they performed, and in that study, they concluded that every child who winds up doing well has had at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive adult. Every child with a success story had one caring adult that poured into them. We say here every kid is one caring adult away from experiencing Jesus. In another study by Harvard's Human Flourishing Program, they found that religion and spiritual involvement has a stunning correlation to human flourishing. They discovered that children who regularly attend religious services and pray frequently are less likely to suffer from depression, less likely to use drugs, more likely to report higher levels of happiness and higher levels of forgiveness, more likely to volunteer in their community, and more likely to have a sense of mission and purpose In their lives. That's just a small piece, a small picture of this impact on this side of eternity that the church can have. Like where else are children going to hear about the life-saving message and the hope of Jesus? Where else are they going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit and have opportunities to carry out the gifts that God has placed into their lives? Where else are they going to be discipled to know Jesus and follow Jesus and lead others to do the same? It's the church. See, Jesus people care about the now generation because they realize that the church is the hope of the world and we cannot miss them. We are hope dealers, y'all. We are here to point people, to point the next generation, the now generation to the person of Jesus. Listen, all throughout the Bible, God uses old people to pour into young people and those young people to point people back to God. There's story after story. In fact, today I was going to share 15 stories with you from the Bible of God doing that. But I know that you want to take your mom out to lunch at some point today. And so I decided to share with you just two stories today from the Old Testament of God using young people to point people back to God. Josiah. In 2 Chronicles 34, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. Check this out. It says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. If you ever read through the New Testament, particularly this area, there's a lot of people that did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Josiah, eight years old, God makes him king. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed in the ways of his father, David. Not turning aside to the left or to the right. We talked about last week. Not swerving from the message of the gospel. Keeping Jesus at the center of everything. It was Josiah when he becomes king. He decides that he was going to get rid of in Israel every image to a foreign god. And so he starts to clear out the temple. He starts to purify Judah. He casted out all of the carved images of all the other strange gods that the people of Israel started to worship. And he was known as being one of the best kings in Israel. Let me tell you about Jehoash. Weird name, I know. Jehoash was anointed king of Judah at the young age of seven years old. Seven, even younger. How crazy is that, y'all? Like most people in that day, don't you think they would have been like, God, you know what you're doing? God, you're crazy. Why would you do that? Seven years old. You're going to want this seven-year-old to lead us? God appointed him king over Judah, and the people of Judah rejoiced. He got rid of, he, he took down one of the pagan uh, leaders of the day, and he got rid of the temple of Baal, destroyed it. It says in 2 Kings eleven thirteen 13 through 20, And Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days. Because Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. He had someone else pour into him. And because he had someone else pour into him and instruct him, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. See, sometimes, kids, I get it. They're going to say some wild things. But they're going to call out the sin in our lives that we let hang around. They're going to call out the areas that we've become blind to and numb to. They're going to cause us to question, do we have any false gods that we're worshiping? Do we have any idols that we have given our lives to but God and God alone? They're going to call us to clear out the temple of religiosity. They're going to call us to clear out the temple of complacency and say, hey, why are we doing that? Why did we allow that foreign God to come here into our land? Why did we build a statue to this other God? God told us to have no other idols except Him, to worship Him and Him alone. Why did we do that? Have you ever noticed how often kids say why, why? When no one else is saying why, a kid will say why. And they'll ask us, hey, Dad, why do we do that in church? hey, why do we talk about that? Why do we talk like that? Hey, Dad, why do we do this? And we may say, oh, well, because we just do. Because we always have. Well, why? Well, I don't know, just because I don't, uh, we do. Well, why? I don't know, maybe, I think God wants us to. Well, why? Uh, I don't know. I think it's in the Bible somewhere. Well, where? Can you show me? I want to hear that story. Tell me why we do that. That's what kids will do in our lives. And that's what Josiah and Joash did. Why didn't we get the ark back to Israel immediately? Why didn't we get rid of this temple? We gotta do it now. I pray that the next generation calls out the idols that we worship because if they don't, who else will? See, Jesus people wanna see the next generation be like Jesus, not like us. They're more concerned with a generation coming up behind us that say, I wanna be like the person of Jesus and, and I know my dad did this, this, but I wanna be like Jesus and I wanna center my life on Jesus and Jesus alone because transformation transcends tradition every time. First Timothy 4.12, Paul says again to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. Listen, we're not concerned about kids disrupting church. We're praying for them to disrupt religiosity in us. Jesus, he left the ministry, the message, and the mission of his kingdom in the hands of who? Teenagers. Teenagers. Teenagers and young adults, if you want to get technical. Listen, we are not here to worship our kids, but we are here to value kids. See, much of our culture is centered on, well, I'm just going to worship kids and I'm going to make them the center of my world and and what happens though when we worship kids is and we make them the priority of our lives it can lead to divorce and depression and a whole lot of disappointment your kids can't be your savior kids are great gifts but they're terrible gods but God can use them to point us to Jesus that's why we say we're Jesus people for the now generation. Our lives centered on the person of Jesus and him first. And so what do we do? We train kids, we disciple kids, we lead kids, and we love kids, and we correct kids, and we celebrate kids, and we point them to the person of Jesus. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. And it's what we're called to do with the now generation. Notice what Jesus didn't do. He didn't put a cap on his disciples calling. He didn't limit their influence. He didn't hold back from placing them on platforms. He elevated their voices and trusted them with who? His bride, Jesus' bride. Matthew 16, Jesus says to Peter, he says, I tell you, Peter, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The most important thing to Jesus in this whole wide world, his bride, His church, he places in the hands of young people. Young people. See, every day we look at a world that we think needs changing, but what if we realized that the now generation are the ones who can change the world? And what if we gave everything that we had to making sure that this place, that the culture of this church, that our lives are centered on pouring into the very ones that Jesus uses to change the world? Amen. Listen, the gospel is too urgent. Eternity is too close. And hell is too real. But heaven is calling. We got a job to do. To raise up kids and students, whether you're a parent or not. To pour into them. See, our job is to be the floor, not the ceiling, on how big a generation sees our God. I wanna close with this story. There's a family in our church and they were praying with their daughter a few nights ago. And and as they're praying with her at night, um, her daughter turns to the mom and she says, hey mom, Caden told me at church last week that it was supposed to be me on that cross, that it was supposed to be me on the cross. It was supposed to be you on the cross. It was supposed to be daddy on the cross. It was supposed to be all of us on the cross. But it was Jesus instead. He was on the cross for me. And the mom starts to cry and is just completely overwhelmed and <laughs> turns to her daughter and says, you're right, Aaron, you are so right. It was Jesus, 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 only Jesus. Guys, when kids come into this place, they're gonna hear about the person of Jesus. And it may look like sometimes you're like, what, are they they hearing anything? God is gonna care for their souls. And if we preach Jesus, we gotta believe that they are going to meet him and know him and walk with him. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for how good you are. God, we're so grateful for the hope of the gospel. And God, I know that there's some people in this room today that maybe are here and they're like, what is happening? I just came to hear about who God is and I'm hearing about young people. God, I hope that today they would recognize that hearing about your heart for young people tells a story about your heart for us, each and every person in this room. God, that you loved us so much. God, that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him, would trust in him, would not perish, but would have everlasting life in him. God, we're so grateful for the hope of the gospel. If you're here and as every eyes closed and every head's bowed and you may be just wondering, well, what is this message of Jesus? I wanna tell you. We believe that there is a God that is so good He is so great, and he created everything that you see and everything that you don't see. And he created man and woman in his image to know him and to walk with him forever. But there's a problem, and it's called sin. And that sin is a decision that Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, made to disobey God. And sin is anything you or I think, say, or do that breaks God's heart or breaks his command. And the problem of sin is that it separates us from God. And God's word says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there is hope. And there is hope in the person of Jesus. That God would send his one and only son, Jesus. And he would demonstrate his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for you. And he died for me. And his invitation is to rise to new life in that Jesus did not stay dead, but he rose three days later, conquering sin and death and hell and the grave. And his invitation is to follow him and to trust in him. And so there's a response, it's that you would surrender your life to know him and to follow him and to trust in him as your Lord and savior. And so if you're here today and you've never made that decision, we wanna give an opportunity every week for everyone in this room to make that decision to trust in Jesus. And so if you're here, I just wanna invite you if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I need you. God, forgive me of my sin. God, I know that you sent your son Jesus for me. And I know, Jesus, that you died for me. And I believe that you rose for me. And I'm trusting in you, Jesus, as the Lord of my life. Make me new, Jesus. God, words tells us that anyone, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved and We believe that that is so true. And so if you pray that prayer for the first time, we just wanna give you opportunity to respond. And one of the ways that we do that here in this place is we respond by raising our hands. And I'm gonna count to three. And if you would just be so bold, if you prayed that prayer today for the first time, we would love to mark that moment with you and start to come alongside with you in this journey of following Jesus. And so if you prayed that prayer, are trusting in Jesus for the first time today, would you raise your hand? One, two, Three. If you prayed that prayer, you're trusting in Jesus today for the first time. Amen, 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 amen. God, you are so good. You are so great. And we're grateful, God, for your heart for us and your heart for a generation that so desperately needs you. And God, may we be a church, a Jesus people that give our lives to see one generation and the next generation and the next generation and the now generation always come to know you, Jesus, walk with you, Jesus, and lead others to do the same. God, give us a heart for the people you have a heart for. God, give us a love to lead and to care and to fan the flame of belief to a generation that needs you. Jesus, we love you so much, and we worship you and you alone in this place, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen, amen, amen.